When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer, and it is Thursday, March 16th of 2023. I have a big show coming up for you all today, including a guest. Yes, a guest. But before I do that, let's talk some NFL free agency. Why not? It's a dominant topic all week, as it always is this time of year, and it is uh, a time to shine for all of our favorite insiders, Rap Sheet, Shefty, Jay Glazer, Mike Garofalo, I'll throw him in there as well. All these guys that get on their smartphones. I saw that Shams Karania uh, last week posted a screenshot saying that his average screen time, you know, your iPhone does this every Sunday. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty sad to see how addicted we are to our phones. Mine says generally somewhere in the three-hour range per day. A bad week, it creeps up to a little over four hours per day, which is insane. I mean, that's still crazy. But Shams tweets out a screenshot of his, and it's like, your iPhone usage was down 25% this week to now an average of 16 hours per day. And it went like, what? Ah, But I bet you Schefter beats him. I mean, all the profiles written about Schefter, he takes his phone everywhere, from dinner with his wife to working out, uh, etc. Well, it also is a big week, not just for the NFL insiders, but for all of these NFL news aggregators that are popping up all over Twitter, and nobody is more ubiquitous than a user by the name of Dove Kleiman. And I say user, not person, because, well, we're still not exactly sure if he's real. The New York Post did write a profile uh, on Kleiman that ran Wednesday. Uh, guest, guest of the show, Ryan Glass-Spiegel, came out with that. And it, sure, says he lives in Israel, had a couple of pictures of him, uh, both of which were him, like, out drinking, <laughs> And like putting up like the the like the two two fingers and one of them like yo I'm here what's up it's like uh, okay I, I mean but anyway uh, Dove Kleiman according to Ryan Glass Spiegel of the Post and we have no reason to doubt a sports media mayhem alumnus uh, is true he lives in Israel as I said um, and he's ubiquitous this time of year he has over 150 thousand Twitter followers as of this recording 150.9k. Uh, his profile says covering NFL news and transactions recommended to turn on notifications, contact via DM editor slash writer at bro Bible. And the post piece confirms that Kleeman is a full-time contractor at bro Bible, which is, uh, one of those sites that survived from the blog day Haven of the, uh, mid to late aughts 
if you will. But anyway, Dove Kleiman. Why am I talking about him specifically on the show this week? Well, he caused a, he caused a stir uh, this week when he relayed a piece of news from Trey Wingo that Aaron Rodgers to the Jets was a done deal. <laughs> Without it, of course, being a done deal. Now, Wednesday on the Pat McAfee show, Aaron Rodgers says he's always intended to play for the Jets since he emerged from the darkness. And by the way, I mean, it's annoying as hell, but Pat McAfee, talk about making your radio show relevant in 2023. Aaron Rodgers, we all know he's going to announce his intentions after emerging from the darkness, speaking for the first time publicly. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And everybody was certainly listening, streaming, watching that. I mean, McAfee's just a monster. Um, Personally, the style is not really for me, a bit too uh, yelly. Uh, I guess, but hey, it certainly is working for him. Good for him. Um, But anyway, Dove Kleiman on Monday relayed a piece of news from Trey Wingo that Rodgers was being traded to the Jets. His tweet was breaking in all caps. Hashtag Packers QB Aaron Rodgers is being traded to the Jets per at wing OZ. And it also had a big picture of Rodgers as well. So on WFAN the next morning, their morning show, Boomer and Geo, discussed Aaron Rodgers in the Dove Kleiman tweet, and Greg Giannotti went in. Quote, I don't think this man really exists. <laughs> he doesn't report on anything on his own, but he has about 150,000 followers. Everybody retweets his stuff, but he doesn't do anything on his own. That's what I don't understand. Everything that he puts out is something that someone else put out. And Kleiman is certainly a rabid tweeter. He told The Post... Um, that the real animus should be directed towards Trey Wingo. Because Trey Wingo, he says, is the one who incorrectly reported on Monday that Aaron Rodgers was going to be a Jet that day, that the deal was official. And he says he was just relaying the message. In other words, don't shoot the messenger. Quote, he said that uh, Boomer Esiason took a shot at him on FAN Tuesday because he was just upset that Trey's report was getting so much attention and took it out on me. Um, so, hey, I do like the attitude, I will say. And he tweeted about 60 times Tuesday, according to the Post article, and I'm sure the rest of the week his figures will be close to that. So you get the picture. Dove Kleiman is the NFL's chief aggregator, and these guys are popping up everywhere. They're all over Red Sox Twitter, NFL Twitter, NBA Twitter, any kind of sports Twitter. It's not just these insiders now proliferating your timeline with mundane injury news and transactions. It is now all of these aggregate Twitter accounts, too, that similarly to Dove Kleiman have really large followings. I don't think any of them reach his level. Again, nearly 151,000 followers as of this recording. But uh, he, you know, they have tens of thousands of followers, many of these accounts. And who the hell are these people are and who the hell are these people? And also, uh, what are they looking to gain? Well, after thinking about it in a bit of a, uh, you know, in a bit of an introspective way, I came to the realization that, mm, let's say, 11, 12 years ago, a freshman Alex Reamer starting out in college, what did I do to try to get my voice out there? You know, I want to get into sports journalism, sports media. How do I get my voice out there? Well, I had a Red Sox podcast, which I started when I was 12. (laughs) Um, So I still had that. I had a weekly radio show on a small AM station in New Hampshire. Um, I did student radio and I, uh, you know, I wrote WordPress blogs. I always was starting a new baseball blog, Red Sox blog, and that's what I did, looking to get my name out there. But if I were 18 or 19 years old today, and Dove Kleiman, I think in the post piece, says he's in his 30s, but if I were a younger kid starting out today 
and I wanted to break into sports media and I wanted eyeballs on my name, on my quote unquote work, what would I do? Would I start a WordPress blog? No, I probably wouldn't even know what that is. Instead, I would likely start a Twitter account like this, follow all of these insiders and newsbreakers, retweet, aggregate their news, try to get engagement that way, and take it from there. And that's what I think guys like Dove Kleiman and all these other insiders, these, uh, these Twitter aggregators are doing. Ten years ago, you know, Dove Kleiman in Israel wants to break into NFL media. He would start an NFL blog. Now, he starts a Twitter account, retweets news, and that's how he gets his voice out there, his name out there. The difference is, of course, 10 years ago, maybe 10 or 12 people at most would have read the Dove Kleiman, uh, Dove Kleeman, rather, NFL sports blog, right? 10 or 12 people maximum. Now, 150,000 plus people are seeing his tweets on Twitter. Over the last year, he's increased his follower count from about 70,000 to nearly 151,000. And they do it by being quick. They do it by taking uh, advantage of the Twitter algorithm, which rewards things like tweets with photographs and media. It doesn't reward quote tweets as much for whatever reason. And especially this new For You tab that's uh, started ever since Elon Musk took over. I mean, so annoying, but... The algorithm now is even more aggressive than it was previously. So someone like Dove uh, Kleeman's voice, uh, Dove Kleeman's voice can get out there. (laughs) I know I'm going back and forth between pronouncing his last name. I do apologize. Um, I promise it's not entirely shtick. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, someone like him takes advantage of that and knows how to capitalize on that. And here you go. He's He's more than doubled his Twitter following in less than a year. And hey, 70,000 people is nothing to sneeze at either. Um, so that's what people like him are doing. But here's the thing, you know, yes, Dove, Dove Kleeman now has nearly 151,000 Twitter followers. But what will that get him long term? I mean, all these aggregator Twitter accounts don't produce any original takes on their own. They don't break news. They don't add even like piffy commentary. Uh, he says in the New York Post, Dove, that he's promoted products in the past and been paid to promote certain stories. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if we're talking quote unquote influencer, having 150,000 Twitter followers is not that big of a deal. So, uh, you know, you get the you, you get the boost, the endorphin boost from the likes, the retweets, the engagement but like long term, where is that really leading? It's, it's hard for me to see that except leading to more and more Twitter followers. And uh, if you can make a living just accumulating Twitter followers, let me know because I would like to try it. The other new, uh, piece of sports media news I wanted to get into here is a story near and dear to my heart as a talk radio guy. Uh, Brent Axe is a now former ESPN radio Syracuse personality. He was told over the weekend that his radio show was being taken off the air because he was too negative towards Syracuse sports. Uh, The head of Galaxy Media Partners, which owns ESPN Syracuse and a number of other uh, stations in upstate New York, Ed Levine, 
um, said this to Syracuse.com about Axe. He was blunt. At least give the guy credit. Quote, I had a problem with the content of the show. I'm an SU fan. I'm sorry, but I bleed orange. I'm not going to apologize for that and think a fair rating of the orange is appropriate. I understand Galaxy has a business relationship with Jim Beheim, uh, with Syracuse, that Coach Beheim and I are personal friends, and he's an investor in my company. I understand and acknowledge that. We've called it pretty fair, and I would argue we've been tough on SU, on SU when the on-field or off-field events warrant it. I just think over the past six months, it took a different tone and became overly dark and negative. What? Are you, his takes on Syracuse football became overly dark, according to the head of Galaxy Media. Um, I don't think that's what Syracuse fans want to hear. So, I mean, at least I give, uh, you know, Ed Levine credit for being transparent. He says, I fired my afternoon drive host because he's too negative on Syracuse, which is a rights partner. And oh, by the way, I'm good friends with Jim Beheim. I mean, and Bayheim, by the way, is an owner of Galaxy Media. A 2018 FCC filing lists him among a group of investors buying 21% of the company. Uh, Bayheim has a regular radio show as well on that station. Other Syracuse coaches do too. So it's all Syracuse, Syracuse, Syracuse up there. And I just say, as a radio guy, stories like these are really troubling to read. And like, it goes against everything that talk radio should be. And it just, I don't, from a rights partner's perspective, you know, I get it. Like there are certain lines that you feel like a rights partner can't cross. Uh, Creative people, you know, the creatives, if you will, hosts, writers, like we don't necessarily like that, but I, I get that to an extent. There are business interests to protect, but you know, I mean, being negative about the state of Syracuse sports that's not a reason to fire the guy. I mean, Syracuse is in a horrible run. Football's been horrible. Uh, Basketball's been bad. Um, It's right here in the article. The football, men's basketball, and men's lacrosse teams combined for what was likely the worst year in school history last year for the big three sports. I mean, wow, that's quite the distinction. Worst year ever. And Brent Axe is going on the air, not making things personal with student athletes, you know, not be just calling it like it is and taking calls from aggrieved Syracuse fans. That's what talk radio should be. And for ESPN Radio Syracuse to prioritize what Jim Beheim's friendship with its owner over a good radio, honest radio, critical radio is ridiculous. And Syracuse should know that, you know, whether or not the afternoon drive show on your flagship station is ripping your athletic program or not. And it's performance that doesn't impact people's fandom for your team. That doesn't make people say, Oh, I'm going to stop watching or buying tickets to Syracuse sporting events. No. I mean, you ever hear a fellowship of the miserable? I mean, we lived on that in Boston sports for years and years and years. So there's no correlation. There's no impact between negative talk And interest, if anything, it increases the interest because people want a place to rant and rave. And they want a place just to talk, talk amongst themselves, talk amongst fans. And it seems like that's what Brent Axe provided. And the fact that he was fired for doing his job is really, really troubling. Coming up on the other side, as I mentioned at the start, I have an interview for you this week. I'm excited to get this guy on. Mike Monaco. Uh, is, you may have heard him, calling Red Sox uh, spring training games over the last couple weeks. He'll be down there for another stint in Fort Myers. He's been a, 
I would say semi-regular presence on Red Sox telecasts on Nesson since late 2019. He's the primary fill-in guy for Dave O'Brien. He'll have more dates this year. He's a Massachusetts native. He's all over the place for ESPN, ACC Network, calling the NHL on ESPN as well. Uh, And I believe he's only a year or so younger than I am, which makes me feel one of two things. Um, Jealous or old? (laughs) I'm not sure. But I talked with Mike about his journey to the Red Sox how he got into ESPN, the life of a play-by-play guy who calls a million sports, his thoughts on modernizing the baseball broadcast, and all that good stuff. So Mike Monaco is coming up on the other side. It's a sports media mayhem. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the podcast. I was saying in the open, Mike Monaco. You hear him on Nesson, see him on Nesson, Red Sox broadcast as spring training whenever they need him. In the regular season, we know from ESPN as well, college basketball, NHL, and everything else under the sun. Mike, how are you? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, good to good to chat with you. I appreciate the invite. Uh, everything's good. Headed off to to Fort Myers a couple of days from now to do some more spring training. And I was just telling you before we hopped on here, uh, not a bad assignment when you can no. escape your weather wherever you are and get to be down in Fort Myers. Especially you. I mean, a lot of your stuff with ESPN, you were saying, is college basketball, hockey. You're really not getting anywhere warm during the winter. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I went from spring training directly to Buffalo for an NHL nope. game uh, nice. for a, an Islander Sabres or so, someone was playing the Sabres. And uh, like that was a rude awakening walking around in Buffalo, you know, freezing compared to, uh, you know, coming in there with a, a tan or a sunburn <laughs> arriving in Buffalo like that. So big time upgrade weather-wise for sure. The freezing temps just kind of peel that off, I guess. Yeah. Um, how have you liked doing the NHL? It's been good. It's been a ton of fun. Um, yeah. It's been a big learning process for me. Um, I had done college hockey before, not a ton of it. Right. Um, and then it was around this time last year. So, I mean, we've got a month left in the NHL season. It was around this time last year where uh, some of the bosses at ESPN said, hey, like, do you do hockey? And I, I do do hockey. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the most experienced at that point hockey guy that, uh, mm-hmm. that has walked the face of the earth or been inside an arena or a rink. Um, but yeah, I said, yeah. And so they threw me into the mix with three regular season games at the end of last year and then woke up to a press release, uh, you know, announcing the commentators for the playoffs for ESPN last year. And lo and behold, I was doing it. So that's how I found out that I was doing the playoffs last year. So needless to say, all of that was um, quite a whirlwind for me trying to get up to speed on, you know, a full season and get yeah. the nuts and bolts down of hockey broadcasting this year when the season started a regular part of the coverage so i feel like i've you know gotten the hang of it better still have a lot to get better at when it comes to my hockey broadcasting but the more i've done it the more comfortable i've got with it and i was just telling one of our bosses last week actually like the more comfortable i've been the more enjoyable it's been for me because i'm not so uh anxious up there in the booth or you know nervous about the you know the mechanics of of hockey broadcasting compared to another sport let's say a basketball or a baseball that i've done you know hundreds of games of by comparison how did you get involved with espn uh good question um so i had done like a one-off gig for them in the summer of uh would have been the summer of 2018 okay yeah might have been 19 no might have been 2019 anyway it was like a little league softball event Okay. The Junior League Softball World Series out Huge. in 
the Washington. Yeah, yeah, big time viewership. Uh, but no, it was it was actually a blast, and we were out yeah. there for like a week. Um, great place, great part of the country to go to. And um, from there, uh, I, I, that didn't directly lead to anything. But I, and I had stayed in touch with some ESPN people that I knew before that, and then after that as well. And then it was football season, 2019. I was working for Big Ten Network and for Fox Sports. And it was the middle of football season. I still remember it. It was like a Monday night in October. And I got a call from my agent saying like, hey, ESPN has offered you a full-time contract. And so it wasn't something that I thought was like around the corner or that I knew was coming. Hmm. Uh, So that's really how I got involved with them. And I mulled it over and eventually like within a week made a decision on if I was going to take it or not. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was too good to pass up. And the company has been great for me. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate for a lot of neat opportunities that I've had with them. So, yeah, it came out of the blue. Um, but yeah, really good people made that happen. Yeah. So someone in your situation, a young broadcaster, um, you know, a few years removed from college, is it typical to have an agent yeah. At, yeah. At that point, um, I guess I was probably a little on the early side, but yeah. And I guess going back even before that point, I probably was working with an agent maybe a little earlier than is common. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at that point, like for the amount of work I was doing it at Big Ten Network um, and at Fox yeah. Sports, it felt, you know, certainly. Yeah always felt worthwhile um you know my approach has always been like i would love to have someone else advocating on my behalf if if they would like to um yeah oh yeah it uh and it certainly helped me navigate that situation as well like yeah that's what they do in particular um you know with espn stuff again like i didn't and it wasn't because they weren't communicating with me it was just like they got a call from espn that that they wanted to work together and offer a contract. And so I don't think I would have been able to navigate that space necessarily on my own uh, as well as my agent helped me do at the time. Yeah, for sure. No, it's just interesting because, um, you know, I wonder, so you're, you know, big 10 network, you're Fox sports, you're breaking into ESPN, you you're starting with the paw socks and everything. So you're doing a million things. And, you know, I, I guess the question is, I hate to say the word brand, like I, I, it makes me cringe, but like there are some instances in which I feel like it applies. Like for me, when I was out of college, like I knew I always wanted to be on sports talk radio. So I kind of geared my, you know, brand online and stuff towards that, you know, interacting with certain shows, writing articles that I figured would maybe be read, et cetera. Someone like you play by play, obviously is very different in a lot of respects. So how do you, do you, do you even worry about like, that part of it or is your mindset just like i'm gonna call the games do a great job doing that and that'll be the tapes i send in and then that's the mike monaco brand if that makes sense no no i totally get what you're saying i think um a a few parts of it like first of all choose and and i'm you know writing and and sports talk radio i'm sure is the same like you don't get the same opportunities you know just starting out as you would now oh right yeah from now um so part of it is like you say yes to whatever games you get assigned and then i think you trust that like hopefully you develop like they are reps so to speak and like not that they're using them as a training ground but like try to maximize what you can get out of each game you get assigned even if it's not the Super Bowl, but treat it like the Super Bowl, even if it's, you know, the Junior League Softball World Series that's only available on streaming and that people have to pay 
you know, $8.99 a month or whatever it is to like have access to it, but treat it the same way. So I think that's part of it. But I think you also do have to be cognizant of, yeah, like, you know, the hesitancy to use the word is absolutely accurate, but like you have to be aware of like the branding and the marketing, I guess, of yourself and of, and of like your ability to do, you know, the events that you want to do at that company, if that makes sense. So like, right. if I'm yeah. a real, if I'm making a real, like, you know, when I got my first nest and opportunities, um, back in 2019 to, to fill in for Dave on the first two Red Sox games I did at the end of the 2019 season, like what I had sent to Nesson as a real was like Paw Sox games on Nesson. Like I didn't send them, you know, a college baseball game right. for a network. I didn't send them, you know, a game that was just on like the local TV down in Rhode Island, nothing against those products, but like, yeah, try to brand it as like, Hey, this is what I've done. Like try to make it seem a, I guess a little bigger than, than what you've done. And yeah, try to position yourself that way. Yeah, no, totally. Um, were you intimidated the first time or a couple of times you stepped into the Red Sox booth? I know you said at the end of the 19 season. So, I mean, still in your creeping up to your late twenties, mid late twenties. I mean, was that, yeah, was that intimidating for you? Short answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, so yeah, it was 26. It was late yeah. September, 2019, you know, meaningless games, uh, to a Red Sox fan and, and really to the Red Sox team at that point, but not to um, you, <laughs> yeah, me like the biggest two games of my life, you know, really to that point. Um, and two games that still even later that like I hold in such close regard, yeah. uh, in my heart. And yeah, like I had never met Jerry Remy, you know, rest in peace. I had never met him before that day walking into Fenway. Um, same with Eck. I had never met him. And the three of us were working in a three-man booth um, with mm -hmm. Garen on the sidelines, Garen Austin, and they put me at ease. That didn't like eliminate the nerves, but it definitely lessened them. Um, and I've said this before, but like what Jerry said to me pregame, like, hey, like you do your thing. We will work around you and like it's going to go great. And I thought that was, you know, the coolest thing then. And I still do that. You know, here's Jerry, a legend, of course, and as um, recognizable and as drastically at one extreme compared to me as the other in terms of, um, you know, like w what he's done in his career. But him saying that to me and saying like, hey, we're like we will do it around you. Um, that was especially cool. And Eck had a similar message um, later on when I met him as well, getting closer to game time. So that that put me at ease. Um, but yeah, I was still nervous when, you know, seven o'clock rolls around and and you're going for real. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, do you ever listen back to those first couple games and then in comparison to what you've done, what you did last season, for example? You know, I one? haven't. I go back now after regardless of sport. Um, I, I go back and listen to at least a part of every single game that I do. Really? I haven't gotten okay. back. I haven't gone back into the past like that. Uh, yeah, just and look at how much how much different it is. But but you uh, but you do you do listen back to every game that you, a, a part a portion of it. Yeah, yeah. So for baseball, like I would watch a half inning at least from every game. Probably not more than that. I think in a perfect world, I would listen back to a lot of every game, but. That's a pretty big time crunch or time yeah. suck. Um, but yeah, I try to listen back to, and I do to, to some part of every game or like for basketball from one media timeout to the yeah. next same deal with hockey. And just, I go back and I just take notes on myself. 
um, okay. figure out like what can be better for next time. Interesting. Yeah. I used to listen back to some segments from my radio shows, but I used to think that was very like narcissistic. So I used to, <laughs> so I try not to tell people, but I guess you are, I, cause I would listen back to the segments that I thought were great. I'm like, Alex, that was, <laughs> you were hilarious there. Like, yes, listen to that. How do you choose what to listen back to? Is it random or are you like, Oh yeah. Well, no, I, I do start with like, um, what I think was like the best half inning of yeah. the game. Okay. And like, I try to start there for like, I guess something yeah. to aspire to so that it's not all like super critical. Like, Oh dude, you're an idiot. Why'd you say that? Like you slurred your words. You can't even speak. You're supposed <laughs> to be able to do this for a living. Um, no, I try to start with like something good and like, you know, see if I was on target with the right stuff or that if did it come across that way? Um, and then, yeah, like what, what can be different? Like, was your story a little kind of meandering and like, didn't really get to the point. Like, yeah, um, I was watching back my most recent basketball game last week. And that like, I thought it was a good segment of, of basketball for ESPN, but like, I was like, eh, you could have told that story about the star point guard better than you did. So stuff like that, you know, kind of hmm. really in the, the minutia of it. But I think when yeah. you like focus and this is really like broadcaster nerdish of me but like i think when you do really zoom in and focus on trying to like isolate those variables hopefully then when you zoom out it does become a better product yeah undoubtedly and there's that balance between uh you know you self-criticism is definitely good in a way to improve but can't go too much with it so <laughs> yeah. it's a good it's a good balance um i think one of the first stories that i read about you in which i really became aware of you was um, the winner of COVID, I think 21, yes, because games were going on. Uh, the Globe, Boston.com wrote a story about how you're calling all these college basketball games in your bedroom. Um, how do you, did that experience improve you as a broadcaster? And if so, how? Or if it didn't, um, feel free to tell me it didn't and it was no, sucking. No, I, hated. I think it did. Like, um, I was just trying to pull it up on my laptop. At one point, when I, when I moved out of that place where I was living, I counted up how many games that I did um, from that apartment, from that bedroom. And it was like a hundred, I want to say it was like 120 wow. games that I did. Wow. And amazingly, not once to my knowledge, did any of my neighbors ever knock on my door or say anything <laughs> to me. And I did games, like I did NL West games, you know, <laughs> that in the central time zone where I was, were, you know, going till midnight, uh, right. you know. And I also did like morning little league softball games that were probably starting at 9am or like rained out college baseball, regional games that were getting continued at 10am the next morning. So amazingly through all hours of the day and the night, um, no one ever said anything, but that doesn't answer your question. I, I do think I got better just by, um, well, one, the sheer reps of it, like I talked about earlier and the fact that we could broadcast from home, even though it wasn't ideal, it allowed us to do a lot of games and let's say a baseball game, you know, is going to get rained out that weekend. And if we were on the road, they couldn't fly us from one spot to another, but on really short notice. And this happened a lot. They could say, you know what? You're actually not broadcasting the Miami baseball game today. Turns out you're broadcasting the Notre Dame baseball game today. And instead of getting from Coral Gables to South Bend, Indiana, they're just punching us into a different, basically like, you know, feed and then you can broadcast that game in a few hours, in a few hours time. So that, uh, that definitely like led to an improvement as well in terms of the reps, but then also just like, you, like you just have to make do with what you have a little bit. Um, and I think improved 
me as well, like in terms of talking to coaches and players mm. and trying to get stories and learn about them over Zoom or over a phone call instead of like, you know, being around a batting cage. Like that's, you know, more valuable and would love to do that in person, but like make sure that you can find a way to connect with someone on a Zoom too so that mm. you're getting interesting information from them. Um, right and and being able to to tell their stories but yeah i mean it's you know we're doing far less of it now than we were at that time but we still do some of it at espn broadcasting mm. games from home yeah. um i don't it's it's not i don't think anyone's preference but i do understand that they can save a lot of money by doing that and a lot of companies can did, did you have roommates when you were calling all yeah. these yeah. yeah oh no yeah. Yeah, one of my best friends from college, and uh, fortunately, he uh, he was more than okay with it. Um, well, he at least was somewhat interesting as a sports fan. But uh, yeah, I, I probably owe him like a, a nice dinner or something as well, or <laughs> a gift card somewhere for tolerating that. That's a good reminder. Um, it's a little, I guess, maybe off the wall, but I'm very into um, like the mental health component of a lot of things, and I think it's especially important. And like broadcasting, because I'm just reading, um, Bill Hoffheimer had a tweet. I was doing a little Twitter search on you before we talked. And he said, kudos to Mike Monaco, 10 game, 14 day stretch, including five straight. And this is just earlier this month. Um, last week he sent it out or two weeks ago. Um, and you know, like when I was, I mean, not to tie it to me, but just as a launching off point, look, and I was starting with EEI, like I was doing late night, turnaround morning, then you're doing this weekend. Can you fill in here, fill in here? Yes, yes. You know, it's still like that to an extent. And sometimes I'm just like, ah, like you're so buried in your work. You're like, is there, I'm, you know, 25. Is there like, there has to be more to life than this. Like, I love what I'm doing, but you know, it's not all I want to be doing. I'm wondering, do you ever go through things like that? And if so, like, can you attempt a work-life balance? With this yeah, kind of yeah. It's a great question. And honestly, it's something that's been on my mind a ton recently because like I have the same reaction to that. And I, you know, Bill Hoffheimer for folks who don't know works in ESPN PR yes. and he put out that uh, during a, a, like you said, a very busy stretch for me. And I was very appreciative of him of highlighting course, yeah. um, my work, but I was also like, man, like, well, when you put it that way, like that's not super <laughs> healthy um, physically or mentally or emotionally, probably. Um, and even before that busy stretch, that's something you right. know I've thought a lot about recently. Um, so so I would say like it's not ideal to be working that much. Um, but the way I always explain it and, you know, to whoever I'm explaining it to, like it comes in ebbs and flows in our industry, like. You know, I had that stretch of five games in five days, and then I had a week between games. And so, mm. like, okay, you know, it's very different where, you know, uh, you know, other people who work nine to fives, they're not going to have a full right. week off or like on a Thursday sure. or Friday without taking PTO that they're just going to be able to sleep in and like catch up on errands and chores and whatever else it is um, and hang out. So, like, you know, on a lot of Mondays in the summer or in the good weather months, like, I'll be out playing golf and not sitting in an office. Right. So that's how yeah. I, it always, I do feel like it balances out, but yeah. the really busy stretches are pretty crazy at times. Um, and yeah, like you think about balance, you think about like, you know, do I need to say yes to every single event that comes along and like, what's the benefit here from a career perspective versus like a personal life balance and important relationships in my life. And that's are, are you at that point where you still feel like you have to say yes to everything? 
Um, depends. I, I would say yeah. less so, you know, maybe even than a year ago or from two mm. years ago. Um, but still like, you know, like Red Sox spring training, you know, I, I would love to be down there and, and call games. So like, even if it's in the middle of our NHL season or the end of college basketball or the start of college baseball, like, yeah, like I, I would love to go do, you know, Red Sox games. It's a team I obviously, uh, grew up rooting for. So, you know, it depends, I guess, on the situation. Um, but yeah, like less so feeling that need, like what you described when you were starting out of saying yes to every single shift that comes along and, you know, doing the graveyard shift. Um, so less so in that regard. Yeah. And the last big thing I wanted to ask you, Mike, is um, spend so many times for so many years talking about like ways to modernize the baseball broadcast because really nothing in this world is the same as it was in 1952 except i feel like baseball broadcasts and how it's done in some ways um so you're on my age is it is that even possible though like is that just stuff that people who don't do it like talk about like oh like modernize the broadcast but you're like do you, like how do you is that like you want to have an updated feel obviously and you do just because of your age but like do you really think that that's even so like something worth like this that you talk about or think about, or do you just like you just have to yeah. go in there and do the game? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, so it's funny, like that has never entered my thought process mm. at all. Like philosophically what I think a baseball broadcast should yeah. be. Like I do just kind of broadcast the way that I've always broadcast to an extent. And like you do change and evolve and, and that sort of thing. But like, like I don't, I don't fancy myself like, an analytics guy, you know, so to speak, like if that's like something in the grand scheme of baseball broadcasting that gets brought up, like I don't view myself as like some sabermetrician, you know, but I do think like that I'm adept, like I, I understand that information and like I've made it a point to, um, but like I don't go into a broadcast being like, hey, like I have to really harp on war and like I want to explain to the audience what yeah. wins above replacement is. Mm -hmm comes from like to me like the way i always explain it in any sport of broadcasting is like sometimes the numbers aren't the most beneficial thing to explain like right sometimes they are like if you wanted like you know strictly and objectively compare you know different players or whatever it is but like if i want to say like something to get a point across the idea is to have it resonate with the viewer or with the listener on the radio and so like you know, if I'm calling a basketball game and a guy's been red hot from three, you know, kick out to the corner, Jones fires, knocks it down, and he stays red hot from three the way it's been the last two weeks. That might sure. be a little more digestible yeah. than like, hey, he's now 11 for 17 over his last four games going back to February 17th in the matchup with NC State, you know, like, yeah. So anyway, that's a, probably a ranging way to get to the answer of it's not something I think about and strive for. But I do think it's just a matter of like, for me, like I want to have um, an understanding of the information that that like, a you know, that a baseball front office is using to make their decisions. Right. Or, right. Uh, if there is a portion of the a fan base for, you know, basketball or hockey, let's say if, if ho like analytics are big in hockey, too, like I know sure. that's going to resonate with a fan base, if I'm talking about, you know, expected goal share or something like that, but you got to pick like your spots. You also spot, don't yeah. want to alienate people who, who don't think that way and don't have a clue what you're talking about. How about like the conversational and entertainment side of it, especially in terms of doing a baseball broadcast? Yeah. 
um, again, not something I like philosophically ever think about or say like, Hey, this is the brand or the identity mm. I want to bring to a broadcast. I think in any sport, it's just kind of my style to lean on heavily my analyst and like mm -hmm. make them star. like, you know, like going back to my first Red Sox games and like, I, no one wants to hear what I have to say about the nine hitter in a meaningless end of September game, but people care about Jerry's stories and X sure. stories and their humor with each other. So like yeah. if they're going to go in a direction, like I should follow up and like really be intent on listening. And like, this is something I've like really taken to heart in my broadcasting career is like, don't be looking down at your scorebook in baseball or like staring at your laptop for your notes. And I say this, to younger announcers when I'm trying to hopefully impart a shred of wisdom on them, if I'm possible of doing that, but like, don't be so caught up in your own stuff, like listen to them. And so I think that probably leads to like a conversational style. If, if you could say that, that I have that and regardless of sport, like I like to do that and, and, you know, pull out whatever, um, you know, stories or expertise that I can from, from the person that's actually the expert, not the one who is a failed high school athlete, you know? Oh, come on. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> um, Mike Monaco, I enjoyed the time. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Alex. Great chatting with you as well. Thanks for the invite.